Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. To the Sure Word Bible Study from Collective Journey Home Church Network. And my sticky post-it note is not cooperating right now. This is good. Today we're starting chapter two. The origin of evil. Dum, dum, dum. What comes to mind when you hear that? Before we get into the lesson. The origin of evil. How many of us have had conversations with people who struggle with God because well, God created evil, God created Satan, blah, blah, blah. Like they have all these different distorted beliefs about that. Uh-huh. Bring me to Satan. Say again. Satan. Satan? Yeah. So bring me to. That's right. The origin of evil, you think Satan. Right? Any other thoughts Do you, before we get started? About that comment? Well, that statement? We had a title, The Origin of Evil. The opening paragraph. He asks a question straight up, doesn't he? What was the origin of evil? We've all experienced it firsthand. Where did it come from? Most people say it would come from the devil. Where did the devil come from? These are all questions that um, the, the, the author here starts this chapter off with. Did God create the devil? I like this question. Did God create the devil and his demons to torment us? No. Right? No. However, has anyone had a conversation with somebody who has a view about God like that? Yes. Right? So that's not an unreasonable or unrealistic question for sure. Will evil ever end? It's pretty yes. heavy, huh? Yes, right? Will yes. evil ever end? Yes. Evil will end. And we can praise God for that. How about it? Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to read for us the first passage. It's going to, it's going to jump us right into the Bible there, Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Uh, someone read that for us in whatever version you want or right out of the book. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. What did you picture in your mind when you read that? Great war. Describe it. Um, when I, like the phrase, uh, a dragon, I don't necessarily picture a dragon, but just, um, a dragon mentality, just fierce and fiery and evil destruction. Red and hot. Red and hot. Red and hot. That's also an indication that, see, God didn't create robots. He created sentient beings that can distinguish right from wrong, even in heaven. Mm. So you have free will. Lucifer's free will got the best of him, and he mm. wanted to be like God. He wanted to be higher than God. Um, you know, all of us, Every creature that was created by God has the ability to say, I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, it's just 
free will you do as you please as you please even though you're you know if you're wrong or you're right you can you can make that decision and god's not gonna punish you for that at that moment but eventually the consequences of your decision is going to be known anyway in the future what kind of war do you picture when it says and war broke out in heaven and michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail what kind of war are you picturing a multifaceted one a discussion or a disagreement but then usually when you have disagreements deeply with other people it can go to violence and you know with him dropping out of heaven like lightning well that wasn't just a stroll out of the gates so mm -hmm. I'm sure there was some force to it mm -hmm. so the reason I'm asking that question about that is because it it's it comes back to and connects with like what does that say about God that concept and as the lesson will point out in the end of the part that we're going to study today, the central issue in the war in heaven is not about who's the most powerful, right? Doesn't is it James? The book of James say that even the devils tremble, tremble. Mm -hmm. something like that, right? Yeah. So, so it's not about who's most powerful. It's about can God be trusted? God's character can God be trusted? And what's really interesting is. I used to hold this view that when I would read this verse, I was picturing tanks and lightning bolts and laser beams and bombs and like war like we do war, right? But the actual, the Greek word used there is polemos or polemic, which we derive the word politic or politician from that. And what it means is an aggressive attack on or refutation of the opinions or principles of another person. So, so you're picturing a verbal battle. So it's a debate between two presidents on either side of the aisle. Yeah. Right? And and one is trying to misrepresent the other. Yeah. Because if the central issue is over might and power, there'd be no question, right? But if the central issue is over, over God can't be trusted and war broke out because Satan and his angels were misrepresenting God. So that's kind of a really interesting, you know, reframing, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't think it would be like a physical battle because God ultimately will win anyway. Mm -hmm. he, he would have had a chance to destroy Satan right there and then. It's more like a moral war. It's, it's a war about morality and about right and wrong. So Ellen White has a quote. Jesus, God could have destroyed Satan as easily as we can just like drop a pebble to the ground. But if he had, then what would that have to say about God? Then he would be feared. Right. Misconceptions are very damaging and um, can cause such destruction. You know, friends, right. families, countries. You know, wars have, have started on, on misconceptions, misunderstandings, um, lies. Words can be very evil and yeah. very destructive. And you can see that now more prevalent in this world, mm -hmm. especially with technology and stuff. I mean, stuff that people oh. can do online to another person. It's awful. 
I mean, and, and you get more, works. you get bolder because you're not doing it face to face. You're actually doing it on a, you know, keyboard or whatever, and you can, you can say whatever you want. So moving down the page here, because our idea to focus on the origin of evil, um, as we move through the lesson, uh, he brings out how Jesus makes a point in his ministry in Luke chapter 10, that after the disciples came back from a missionary trip, that they were like, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, right? He makes this point. And then the lesson goes on to say that in Isaiah chapter 14, 12, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. What do you think here in the second paragraph? Did anybody underline anything or highlight anything that was really interesting about Lucifer's name? Shining one. Light bearer. Yeah. Yeah, the light Yeah, loses light in... Yeah? And uh, uh, was... Um, Latin and Spanish, loose, so okay. also light. Okay. And so um, what I think is really interesting about that too is so is Jesus. Jesus is also shining one or light bearer. Jesus is also Lucifer. Originally, right? You tracking with me on that? Now we don't want to confuse the two because we're not. So you're saying, you're saying it's kind of had the same position? Right. What do y'all think about, about that? Agree, disagree, it's fine. I think Lucifer was created, Jesus was not. That's absolutely true. I believe that as well. Because right. Jesus was actually yep. the one that created the heavens and the earth. Yep, that's yep. absolutely true. And the saying was so high up in the ranks in the kingdom that he was like side by side maybe with Jesus as a light bearer. Right. Yeah. Right? There's an interesting... Uh, if we move down a little bit more in that... Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15, the, pat, the, the book has that passage here for us to read as a way to kind of understand sort of the character of Satan <laughs> and understanding more about him in its in his, originally who he was and i think this is really important for us to maybe unpack uh, can someone read that for us son of man take up the lamentation for the king of tyre and say to him thus says the lord god you are the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty you are in eden the garden of god every precious stone was your covering the sardius topaz and diamond beryl onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your trimbles and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were the you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fire stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. That does not sound like some red deviled scary looking monster, does it? Do you know, the first thing that came to my mind when I read that verse, I actually love that passage. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it's and not just a description of Lucifer, it's a description of God. 
Interesting. That God absolutely loves beauty. Hmm. He loves color. He loves uh, precious gems, precious stones. He just he loves rich, vibrant um, things like that. And for uh, it, it was to me a very striking contrast against some of the religions of the world today that feel that you have to just dress so plain and humble and dark and drab. That's not God. That's not what God created. God created a gorgeous, beautiful garden. Look how he dressed his light bearer. You know, I mean, God loves beautiful things. So to me, there was not just a description of Lucifer, but of God also. That's good insight. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. When I read that passage, I just, the overwhelming feeling for me was, I just felt, a, a, even though everything there was beautiful and it was just a description, I just felt the vanity and the selfishness mm. that I could see coming from that. Not that that was the original plan or anything like that, but with the iniquity, the so vain because I am the most beautiful or the most whatever, mm-hmm. and then so selfish because, you know, he's mm-hmm. looking at self and then mm-hmm. immediately thinking he needs to be in a different position because of that, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just an overwhelming feeling that came over me just reading it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like... Yeah. It also shows the love of God. Mm-hmm. Gave him the, he gave his creation the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like, I don't know, it's like, it's like, a, I guess a kid is born into a rich family, has everything, and yet they become self-centered or something because they have everything they don't need anything mm-hmm. they're, they're not in you know they're not in need or they're being taken care of by their rich parents or something you know like they don't know what actual work is especially in you know but i think because of this passage i mean it's like god really loved his creation you know I think it's important to that we, we kind of address what the lesson is trying to bring out here is the there's a there's there's uh, the methods that God uses and the methods that Satan uses and uh, in the paragraph above Ezekiel twenty eight there the last sentence he writes Satan never comes in his own name but always comes in disguise or in someone else's name as we find in the following passage and then he goes into Ezekiel now it's really interesting for us to to focus on that because. Did Satan show up as himself in the Garden of Eden? Yeah. No. He disguised himself as a serpent. Did Satan show up as himself when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness? He was an angel. He was an angel of light. Right? And the Bible even describes Satan as an angel of light. So, so it's really interesting to think about that now. What you're seeing there is hiding, secretive. It's, it's, not, it's not transparent. It's not open. It's not honest. It's not truthful. Right? Satan, Jesus, Jesus said in the Gospels says straight up, like, you are the father of lies. He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. Period. There is no truth in him. Um, so that's a really interesting contrast, I think, that, that we need to bring up here is that we're, even though Satan was created the covering cherub, the most precious creation, you were anointed uh 
mountain of God, walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones, perfect in all your ways from the day you were created, even though he was like that. Mm -hmm. What was his character all about? How did he act? What was the methods that he used? That's the point that we're trying to focus on and that the lesson is trying to bring out. So following down the bottom, did anybody else get anything out of that page here before we, before we move on? Well, like I said, it's where it said that God did not create a devil, but the most beautiful, glorious, powerful angel of all. Mm. Lucifer was the seal of perfection. Mm -hmm. He had all that God could bestow upon a created being. He had all that God could bestow upon a created being. I just came and imagined, you know. I think what struck me was the the titles when it says, "But titles and names can be deceiving, and Satan never comes in his own name, but mm. always comes in disguise or in someone else's name." Mm -hmm. And it's you know something to think about um, living in this world and looking into the future. You know, as people come you know, into your life bearing a certain position mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. and who are they really? Right. You know? Yeah. Are mm -hmm. are they from mm -hmm. God? You know, are they not? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I guess as we get closer to the end of time you're gonna see a lot of deception. Mm -hmm. And it's something I guess to mm -hmm. To think about or keep in mind and because mm -hmm. they could be beautiful and they can look the most holy and they can be the most charitable but behind the scenes what is this being that's a great point but they won't be seeing that for the last 10 years i think yeah a lot of, a lot of changes and not for the better mm -hmm. for the worse yeah the um the top paragraph there um he, he kind of brings out unfortunately lucifer didn't remain in that state of perfection because as isaiah points out iniquity was found in him so there was a selfish, sinful nature that was developed in Lucifer. Check out the second paragraph there at the top of page 20. This is really interesting. Lucifer is now called by a different name. Because in the biblical accounts, when someone's character changes, their name changes. Any ideas? Any, any biblical characters come to mind? Had their names changed? Abram and Abraham. Okay. Sarai and Sarah. Saul, Paul, Jacob, Israel. Michael, Jesus. Boomch. That's an interesting one though, but his character didn't change. So I might push back to you on that. Okay. Or ask you to say more. <laughs> but but I mean, it's just one that stuck out, okay. and it's just like yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not not to say. But he wasn't called Jesus, so he took human form. Exactly. Mm, okay. Maybe that I'm was the change. Okay, I'm with you now. All right. Yeah. So Jesus was Michael the Archangel? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Super cool. So Lucifer, continuing with this paragraph, Lucifer has fallen from his high position as the anointed cherub. Therefore, his name has been changed from light bearer to Satan, which means accuser and devil, which means deceiver. In Revelation, he is called the dragon, which means a fiery serpent, a deadly poisonous snake. Deceiver, accuser. Kind of interesting, just dawned upon me that the serpent is in the beginning, the serpent's in the end. Full circle. Right on. Right on. 
So here, check this question out. But what led up to Lucifer's fall? Pride. Selfishness. Power. He wanted the power that God had. The lesson points out here that this it's a question that the Bible does not specifically answer. What did you guys think of that paragraph? Third paragraph down, right there in the middle. If someone maybe wants to read that, what you know, what this author's view, I think it's good to maybe discuss that a little bit to unpack it. A thoughtful suggestion is that Lucifer was probably the first angel God created. As such, Lucifer would not have witnessed his own creation, but he likely would have witnessed the creation of all the other angels. Thus, there is the possibility that Lucifer may have begun to think that he was not a created being as the other angels were, that he was equal with God, and that God was not being truthful with him about that in order to keep him in subjection. If Satan thought himself to be equal with God, he would also have thought that he should be worshipped as God. This would explain why he asked Jesus to fall down and worship him. Thoughts on that? So this is, as, as the author, I appreciate he said this, it's not necessarily, the Bible doesn't specifically say that, but he's saying, here's my understanding of it, and he's offering some scriptural evidence against it. What do you think of that? What does it say about God? Agree, disagree? I, I you know, I think Lucifer knew where he, that he was created. But I think he felt, since he was a leader of the angels, that it was his right to be at the creative table to figure out, you know, all this, you know, and he just felt left out. And so, and when any of us are left out of something that we feel that we should belong to, you know, you would tend to get a little bit disheartened and, and upset. And, um, and I think it was something he just couldn't let go. Because Jesus, you know, it was a very... When he was in heaven, you know, he was a very kind, sweet, uh, and not saying God the Father isn't, but he was overly so. And, you know, and he, you know, and, and for him to trick Jesus into worshiping him in his weakened human form, then it would really speak to the angels, fallen and unfallen, that he is God, or is worthy to be worshipped. Mm. And um, I think he tried to strike when he thought that Jesus was the weakest. 40 days of no food. Mm -hmm. uh, you're pretty weak. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Mm. He's a coward. I think that that actually... I, I tend to myself... Like, that would make sense, what what the author here brought out about Satan thought himself to be equal as God. Because, and I don't remember if it's Jeremiah or what book in the Old Testament um, it talks about, but it talks about, it describes Satan as like, I will ascend to the heights, I will set myself up in the temple of God, you know, um, you know, he... It's a, it's a, it's like a prophetic description of this idea of, of Satan setting himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. You know, and as we understand it, we are God's temple. 
So for Satan to desire to set himself up in God's temple to be worshipped as God means that it's our belief about God. And so if it comes down to the character of the person, you know, then, then it comes back to that. The kind of God you worship determines whether you're worshiping the creator God or Satan. And, and that is also a really scary thought, too. Um, versus Isaiah 14, 13. Isaiah 14, 13. Yeah. yeah. You want to read it? Uh, New King James says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Mm. So that's where it's from. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the reference. Which is really interesting. So Satan says, I will ascend to be God. We also see him here in Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, right? Satan said to Jesus, all these things I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. The New Testament, Paul writes that Maybe it's in Philippians. Have this mind, it's also in Christ, though being in the exact nature, God humbled himself. Yeah, did not think himself equal with God, but humbled himself to the form of man to the point of death cross. So like if you were to compare, you've got Satan who says, I want to be like God. I want to be worshipped. And then you've got Jesus who says, even though I am God, I will humble myself. Philippians 2.8. Yeah, Philippians 2.8. To being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself right. and became obedient to death, right. even the death of the cross. Yeah. And you got to see the contrast between Absolutely, that. Yeah. Between that. Uh, yeah. Jesus was born you know, in a manger, mm -hmm. you know, with animals and stuff, and grew up you know, in, a, in a regular household. Became a carpenter, so he took out the trade. Mm -hmm. You know, no life of richness or, you know, servants and stuff, you know. And he was not beautiful. They talk about yeah. him not being beautiful. He was plain. Common dude. Plain dude, and in fact, bullied, I believe. Mm -hmm. mm. No doubt. His desire of age is really good in depth on how bad he was treated as a child. That. that make a good study by his own siblings even well, one thing that uh to Sydney um you know going back a little bit was you know he's talking about how he was born and or he was created and then God created all the other angels I guess he forgot that he was created just like the other angels you know he was created first you know God didn't you know he didn't make the angels God made the angels just like God made him and I wonder if he struggled with that because he thought since he was the first, he was the biggest and baddest, I guess. But, yeah, same thing. God created you. He did create you for a role, mm -hmm. but you're born of the same heavenly flesh, I guess. So. Mm. Check out uh, second, uh, for really the first paragraph then on top of 21. Lesson brings out this point. It is important that we realize that God's character and trustworthiness is the central issue in the war that began in heaven. That can be clearly seen when that old serpent, the devil, quote, 
spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then he, he directs us to Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Someone read that for us and let's ask the question, can it be clearly seen? Someone want to read that for us? Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, Woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. I think it's important to really notate that she was not alone. She was not by herself. Yeah. He was with her. I'm glad you brought that up. It's a good point to consider. 100%. Uh, fun fact. Did God actually say you shall not touch it? Yeah, you'll sure, you surely die. If we, and someone can grab a Bible and we can look it up, but previous to this, God said, I've provided every fruit-bearing tree of all the trees in the garden you may eat, but don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. Interesting thing there, that Eve supplied that. Yeah, God said we can't eat it, and he also said we can't touch it. Oh, he just said eat, and she There's no record of God saying don't even touch it. So what I find really, really interesting that the way Satan approached this whole conversation of implying doubt, has God indeed said you should not eat of the serpent? He is introducing this distorted, creating doubt in Eve's mind of the validity or trustworthiness of what God has said. Well, I don't know. Did, wait, did he say that? What did he say? And because he just so subtly introduced this idea that maybe you can't actually trust what God said by questioning... Then she started kind of formulating, maybe he, wait, you know what? He actually said we can't even touch it. Like that's how subtle that was. And so right, like right there, the way, the way the accuser and the deceiver approached that whole situation was about misrepresenting what took place and creating doubt. It's interesting that the tree was pleasant to the eyes. Mm -hmm. So it must have been something different enough, unique enough to, mm. you know, kind of draw her in. Are you tempted to go to grab something that's drab and rotten and not all that attractive? Or are you going to be tempted to go for something that's standing out, pristine, beautiful, and just has a look to it? I think she annoys more the serpent than the fruit. But I think we, we need to be we need to be mindful. It's really easy for us to start talking about like Eve's perception in the tree, but I think we would miss the point if we start focusing on that. And that is what was Satan doing 
and what's the issue over? Misrepresentation. Right? And how did he do it? Very sly. Very I can imagine very charming. Very, you know, very, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there was force involved. No, Smooth talking. No, there was no force involved for sure. He it, told it, me it was my deception. car, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't so think, good. I don't think he would... Uh, I don't think he presented himself as one of those like regular snakes that we see, like a, no. a viper or something. He was beautiful. That was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful yeah. wings. He had wings. Yes. The serpent had wings in the yes. New Testament? Yep. All colorful and so I think that's why Very maybe Because he, he was cursed to crawl on his belly after that. Yeah. So the, the lesson... God did. So the lesson here... Clearly, Satan. Yeah, go ahead. Finish. I'm sorry. You're you're in the middle of thought, and my apologies. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. We'll take it on later. <laughs> Is that the meeting after the meeting after the meeting? Yeah. The meeting later. <laughs> Sarah's got something to say. Throw something at me, honey. Well, I just think it's interesting that, you know how like, I mean, of course, like this was you know, all kind of before sin, obviously, you know, like before it sin in the garden. However. Um, you know, when we're told, as humans, right, we're told, um, you can't do that, or you can't have that, where does our mind go? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, it becomes the most amazing thing, right? Like, it's, so even though maybe before it would have just been ordinary and not all that exciting, when you're told you can't, right, like, they were told they cannot eat it, then, because, like, because down after, you know, Satan comes to her and he's like, you know, you were told, you know, we should not eat of the tree, right? And then she says, yeah, we shouldn't even touch it, you know, all this kind of stuff. It says, so at that point, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, and this is after she had talked to Satan, right? Like, do you think that they hadn't seen the tree in the middle of the garden at that point? Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me that she hadn't seen the tree previously. But so, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So Satan was the one who told her that the tree was good for food. Satan was the one who told her that the tree would make them wise. So it kind of leads me to believe that, like, before Satan came to her and said what he did, like, it might have just looked like any other tree to them at that point. Like, his words, his deception, changed her perception of what, like, the, the whole situation yeah, I think it changed when she saw Satan. Right, like it wasn't the tree that was like yeah. so amazing. It was the fact that like now she had a question because of his lie, of his his deception, his cunning behaviors, his words, that now it looked, you know, ama more amazing than it had, you know, would have otherwise. Two weeks ago, um, Derek and I played music with um, Pastor Chris Eckenroth with Retro Ministries in Reading. He's doing a 13-week series on Nehemiah. And he brought about this point of positive people attract positive people. Negativity connects with negativity. Um, and he, he was like, have you ever noticed if you walk up to someone and they're talking and your friend that you're standing with says, you know, that's so-and-so and so-and-so, they're, they always stink, don't they? We have a tendency to go, yeah, you know, you're right. They, they do always stink, right? Like we connect with that. 
and he brought about the how like you know kind follows kind that idea you know unhappy people generate unhappy people or connected unhappy people you know gossips create gossips and so that's what i thought when you shared that like satan's there in the tree and he's saying yeah you know da, 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 da. you know why you're right it does look good to eat you know that's kind of which what does that say about god That even Adam and Eve in their pre-sin state have the ability, had the ability, the freedom in their mind. Like, what does that say about God? Like, complete and total freedom. Freedom to think, freedom to develop, freedom to choose, freedom to understand, freedom to ignore evidence, freedom to be, to believe something without evidence or reject something without evidence. Like, just the... Like, that's kind of huge, yeah? Who wants to be uh, around a bunch of people, a bunch of yes men? Well, that's what Satan wants. No doubt. Yeah, it's, You're right, though. But, you know, yeah. like, automatons are not fun to be around. And, and also with, with them, it's they had never seen anything like that. I, I, I picture them being pure and naive and, and, and that that pureness that's just so sweet and so delicate that, you know, one thing, you throw a wrench into it and it's like, you question everything. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, this isn't the way things were supposed to be. They're supposed to be like this. And, you know? Right. The last paragraph there to wrap up today's part one of this lesson. Clearly Satan disguised as a serpent was insinuating that God has lied to them and therefore cannot be trusted to tell them the truth. God's lied. You can't trust him. He's keeping something for you. He just wants to control you. More than that, Satan insinuates that God is being arbitrary in order to keep them in subjection to him. That God knows that if they eat of this tree, they will become as gods and will be equal to him. And then he talks a little bit more about, you know, the war in heaven is not about who's the most powerful. The fact that God casts Satan out and that the Bible describes, we referenced earlier, the, even the demons tremble. It's proof that God's most powerful. It's never been about that. But the last sentence there, but from this exchange between the serpent and Eve, it becomes clear that the real issue in the war that began in heaven is about God's character, whether or not he can be trusted and whether one can safely follow his word. Question, to wrap up our discussion. If God can be trusted, and if we should safely follow him, what must we do? What do we have to do to determine if God can be trusted? Learn about him. Learn about his character, his methods, the way he operates. We have to judge God. Second mm -hmm. Kings, Elijah, Mount Carmel. He said, judge for yourself. If God is like Baal, worship Baal. If God is like Yahweh, worship Yahweh. Judge You judge God. Can God be trusted? When you get down to the name, you know, the name Satan, Satan is the accuser. Mm -hmm. You get down to the word devil, devil is deceiver. 
And so it, it's, you know, and if you note, you know, and I, you know, in, in, in the later part of this where it, you know, Jesus is very careful to use which term when. Mm. And so it's, it's one of those things where it, and it doesn't help the fact that God is so silent in many ways that you go and you, you want to have a conversation, but yet you see the actions of him around you, but you don't necessarily hear him speak back to you. At least I don't, you know, and it's one of those things where it, it's so subtle that you have to search. You have to look to see who God is. You can't just see God over there and be like, yeah, he's a good guy. I never seem to do anything wrong. You know, you don't have that firsthand account yet. So it's, 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 it's quite interesting. And, and Satan will do anything to dissuade you. He'll, he'll put enticements in front of you. You know, he'll, you know, think about all the worldly nonsense that's around us. It's, yeah. Thanks for that. So next week, we'll start on page 22, and we'll finish the lesson, and that'll be, that'll wrap up, uh, and we'll, you know, answer these questions. Did God create the devil? All these kinds of things. And I, I think we're really going to pull out some really interesting truths from it. Um, there's definitely more content moving forward with this. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really good, so... Appreciate all of y'all's insights. This has been a really good discussion as we kind of move through. Um, fun fact to wrap it up. It is a common belief that sin cannot exist in the presence of God. You'll talk to many Christians who believe that. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. But I think it's safe to say that sin absolutely can exist in the presence of God. Because Jesus was walking around on earth for 33 years in the presence of sin. Satan was in heaven when the war was going on. Sin is not behaviors. Sin is heart motive, selfishness. So there's Satan in heaven wanting to be God and worshipped as God, working to deceive and lie and all of that in the very presence of God. Mm -hmm. I don't think Satan, you know, went around and recruited a third of the angels in a day. Yeah. Right, so like it Good probably point. took them some time to deceive them and lie about God enough that they're like, oh yeah, I think I will follow you, right? Like, obviously he was in that state for a while before <laughs> he was tossed out. He was grooming the angels. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. He was it. grooming yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And what does it say about God that he left Satan free to do that in the presence of God? Freedom. Allowed to your freedom. Not on his freedom. His freedom of choice. Pretty amazing, huh? Let's pray. God, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for these truths, for your insights. Thank you so much that your Holy Spirit is teaching us and leading us. We bless, we pray for a blessing over um, our minds. And as we go through this book, that we may wrestle openly with things that we, like, I guess, you know, long-held beliefs that may or may not be contradicted by what we're learning but also God bring us discernment that if we read something in this lesson that we don't agree with that we can challenge it because you are the source of all truth and it is by your Holy Spirit that we are led to truth and so that is what we seek we pray in your name Amen. Amen. Amen.